the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, August the 4th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on August 4, 1944, 15-year-old Anne Frank, she was arrested with her sister, parents, and four other people that had been living in a building in Amsterdam. It was actually a warehouse, the Gestapo had found out they were there. They came for them. They took them. Anne and her sister, Margaret, died in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. You'll recall her story, Anne Frank, the diary of Anne Frank, little 15-year-old teenager. Her father had given her a diary for her birthday. They were holed up in this building in Amsterdam, hiding from the Nazis, the Gestapo, and they were finally found and taken away. That happened today in 1944. Later, after her life and her sister's life had been lost, her father escaped, and the diary was found and later published, and it was the story of the family while they were hiding from the Gestapos. I've talked to people some years ago on our television program from Germany, a couple of Lutheran nuns in particular had written some books And I interviewed them, and then I talked to them privately and personally after we had done the television show. And um, they said all of it came up on them in Germany so so slowly. And so it just seemed like, like you never see a flower bloom. It just blooms. Or you never see a sun rise. I mean, totally. That those are the ways they described how that the the Nazism and the whole thing about Germany and Hitler and all of that came upon them. They said it it didn't just happen one day. They never announced really that here's where we're going and we're going to exterminate Jews and we're going to do all this. It just sort of rolled in like fog rolls in or like those kinds of things were the way that they described it to me. And they, they said, of course, we were caught up in some of it in the beginning But now we have dedicated our lives. These particular Lutheran nuns had committed their life, and they had some kind of a convent there in in Germany. And they said, we are asking God to forgive us and our land, our nation, for being misled. That always strikes me when I see how the left moves. I'm not suggesting that Nazism is moving in America, although there are Nazis for sure. But how anything that stands in contrast against God and God's word, how it comes slowly, often. It just sort of seeps through the cracks. There's no announcements, but it's just a kind of a remaking of America. That has happened in history, and it will happen again unless Americans turn their eyes to the word of God on which this nation was founded and begin to embrace those principles, not only personally, certainly personally, but culturally and socially as well. 
Today, in 1916, the United States reached an agreement with Denmark. We purchased the Danish Virgin Islands for $25 million. Today, in 1972, Arthur Bremer, he was convicted, sentenced to 63 years in prison for his attempt on the life of Alabama Governor George Wallace. Remember that shooting that took place and Wallace ended up in a, in a wheelchair? It's interesting, too. I don't want to editorialize too much on what happened today in history, but I remember that quite well. And what the press, when they mentioned George Wallace, they never will accept it. I'm not defending George Wallace. I mean, to my critics out there, uh, don't run with this because that's not what I'm saying. But the media always talks about George Wallace and his far, far, left crazy ideas about racism and segregation and all that kind of thing. But they never report, or I've never hear it, they never report that the last years of his life in that wheelchair, he went from place to place speaking, apologizing for his views previously and how wrong he was and trying to make amends. I'm not suggesting he made amends, but I'm suggesting that the guy finally saw the light, the truth, and he was trying to do what he could do to rectify it. Whether that was enough or not, I'm not suggesting it was or wasn't. I'm simply saying that part of his life is never reported. But I've seen George Wallace mentioned several times in the news in the last week, but I've never seen any hint, any suggestion that the guy finally got it right before God and socially. They just report selectively. Today, in 1977, President Jimmy Carter, he signed a measure establishing the Department of Energy. And today, in 1987, the Federal Communications Commission voted four to nothing to abolish the Fairness Doctrine. That required radio and television stations to present balanced coverage of controversial issues. Controversial as in political. And... um, Again, I was in the middle of that. We had a television show from the late 70s through into 1990. And I remember when that happened, it was kind of a relief, really, for us as programmers on our daily television show. But they voted four to nothing to abolish the Fairness Doctrine. There were a lot of different opinions on that on both sides, I must say. Today, 1988, the U.S. Senate voted to give Japanese Americans who were interned during World War II, a $20,000 check and an apology. And today in 2001, thousands of admirers turned out in London for what would prove to be the last birthday celebration for Britain's Queen, uh, Queen Mother Elizabeth. She turned 101. Queen Mother died in March 2002. She's the mother of the current, as you know. That's a few things that happened in history, we try to um, try to do that every morning as we originate live here. Two students for life were arrested Saturday in Washington, D.C. for attempting to write with children's chalk. That's the kind that washes off just with a just a the least little amount of water washes. Off. It's the kind my grandkids like to write on my driveway with if if I can not stop them before they get at it. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't hurt anything. And it, like I said, it easily washes off. It's kind of made, really, to write on 
sidewalks or on concrete driveways or whatever. But anyway, these two students, they had originally, the organization, it's a fine organization. I had contact with them. They've contacted me several times in the past, the, the head of that organization. And they do they do good work as far as I'm concerned. And uh, they're a pro-life movement that's based among teenagers, particularly high school kids. And there's thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of kids involved in that, probably maybe at least tens of thousands. And so the student organization, they had asked for me in the corporate office. It's in Virginia, I think. It's, it's around the D.C. area. And they had asked for permission to paint a message on the street like the Black, Black Lives Matter activists had been doing for weeks in D.C., and they have been. It's been all over the news. Remember that great, those great big, they were doing it in New York as well, but those great big letters, Black Lives Matter, down the middle of the street. Some of them were in yellow. I saw one that was done in black. But they just sort of opened up the streets. I mean, it's illegal to do that, but the mayors were saying, oh, we don't care about the law and so on, and they've been doing this. So these kids come back around with the backing of their organization, and they say, we want to uh, we want to write a message on, on the street. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's illegal. And they said, but you've opened the streets to, uh, this is the, the mayor of Washington, D.C. They said, you've opened the streets now to public comment because you've allowed this group to write on the streets. So why can't we? And they said, well, um, that was an exception. So the students said, well, we're going to show up in front of Planned Parenthood in Washington, D.C. This was Saturday. We're going to show up there, and we're just going to write our message on the sidewalk with chalk, with kids' chalk. So they did. Two or three of them showed up there. They weren't creating any kind of a you know disruption or anything. They just showed up, and they got out their little pieces of chalk and started to write their message on the sidewalk. Their message was unborn blacks matter. Unborn. And the word unborn black lives matter was so incendiary to the police, they arrested them. And they arrested them on two counts. One was they were defacing public property. Now keep in mind the images that you've seen across your TV screen in the last months now of buildings burning, big windows being smashed out of all these businesses in these cities across America, no less here in the Northwest, in in Seattle and Portland, but across the nation. And these guys were arrested. I watched the video for defacing property and trespassing. Well, the trespassing it, it is hardly true. I mean, it's not true because it's a public sidewalk, and they weren't trespassing, defacing public property. Well, last night, the head of uh, Students for Life and their parent corporation, they're going to file suit, and they said it's not going to be just a little suit it's going to be a big suit because we want to make a statement because these kids were discriminated against because they're christian and they're pro-life and that's exactly what happened what they're saying to america's this generation is yeah we we, will give you freedom of speech and expression on that constitutional thing 
But boy, you better say the right thing and you better think the right thing and you better do the right thing or we're going to haul you off to jail. And that's exactly what happened to these kids. That's concerning. But it's happening in America. This isn't Germany or Russia. President Trump's approval rating went to 51% yesterday, 7% higher than Obama in the same time in the summer of 2012, same day, in fact. Trump is going against the trend. The mainstream media is setting out in their effort to destroy his administration. No one even argues with that anymore. But his approval rating hit 51%. This, despite these horrible attacks on the guy. I've never seen anything like this, and you probably haven't either. The fake news, as it's become known, thanks to Trump and others, the fake news media, the way they've been handling this, the coronavirus thing, all of it, I mean, they're just every day. They get up and they get in front of a camera or they get on their microphone on the radio, and all you hear is either a direct assault, a frontal assault on the President of the United States, or innuendo, and there's not much innuendo anymore. It's just all-out assault on this man. There's nothing, nothing that's off-limits or out-of-bounds to say about the President of the United States. They sort of goad each other on. They try to one-up each other. Often the media is talking to one another as much as they're talking to America to prove that they're in this, we're all in this together, and we got to get rid of this guy, whatever it takes. And it, there, there's no restraint even on sharing their goals and their ambitions. They don't really care about America. The Democrats haven't come up with a single policy item, really. They probably will throw some things together before the election, but they haven't come up with anything. They're not running on anything except to get rid of Trump. And they say it again and again and again. In that environment, Trump hit 51% approval rating yesterday at the same time Obama, the same time, same day in the summer of 2012, Barack Obama had a 44% approval rating, and he had a 95% positive media score. And Trump has a 95% negative media score. Very interesting, isn't it? Selection Day in Washington State. Washington State's primary election is today. Many of you in Washington State, you know that. I hope you know that. I hope you've gotten your ballots in the mail. If not, they must be postmarked or placed in a drop box by 8 o'clock this evening, 8 p.m. This is it, Election Day, with the big election looming. They're all important. Every single election is important. Every vote you cast is a mandate. Either we participate in our culture as we have the opportunity to do so, or we fail our culture, we fail our neighbors, our friends, our family, and we fail the Lord. To whom much is given, much is required. We have been given so much in America. This generation doesn't understand it because they've been taught otherwise, indoctrinated by public education primarily in the absence of parents and their influence, but it is important that everyone vote, and I know most of you listening to this program know that. 
However, even the election process is being attacked. The Nevada state approval approved a bill, Nevada Senate approved a bill Sunday night, Sunday night, to implement a majority mail-in election in November. Well, people in the Northwest, particularly Washington, Oregon, say, well, you know, mail-in, well, that, that works great. I don't have to go out and stand in line and get the virus, COVID virus and all that kind of thing. But if you take a closer look at the process, we're always told, oh, we have we, we have this thing nailed. There are There's no, Trump is always accused of being negative toward mail-in voting, but they always say, well, but there's no evidence. Well, there's Chris Wallace on Fox News or whomever. They get a snarly look on their face and they say, well, there's no evidence. Well, actually, there is overwhelming evidence. And I looked into that so I could talk about it for a few moments accurately and intelligently on this program. So let's talk about it for a moment. But first, I want to thank you for your support. We, um, we are so, these are such perilous and unprecedented times. And I want to thank you for standing with me. We, we just wouldn't, couldn't be here without you. And I know all of you that support us, you recognize that, you know that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for continuing to stand with us. And if you are inclined that what we're doing is valuable to the kingdom of God, valuable to you, to people you know that could listen. I'd encourage you to consider becoming a part of this and standing with us. These are times when we need to be informed and we need to be encouraged. And we try to do that, but we try to get to the point. That's why we call this straight straight talk. So I want to thank you for standing with us. We need your support. These are challenging times. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, 98009. I was reading in the Psalms the other day. Psalm 103. This is your verse for the day. You'll read other verses, won't you, today, I hope. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thy iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeemed thy life from destruction, who crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. As I said, Nevada Senate approved a bill Sunday night. Sunday night, (laughs) in the dark, I suppose. But they're going to move to mail-in voting, and they're saying the reason the Democrats all voted for it and the Republicans all didn't, but there were more Democrats than Republicans, so the Republicans lost. They say they want to keep voters safe from the virus. New York did the same thing here just a couple of months ago in June. They said, we want to keep you all safe from the virus, and so we're going to do all mail-in voting. But that went sideways in their primary election. President Trump's press secretary, outstanding, very talented young gal, young mother now, just had a baby recently, Kaylee McAnney, devoted Christian. She's calling New York's vote counting an absolute catastrophe. And others are doing that as well. 
President Trump says Nevada Democrats are using COVID to steal the election, and he's threatening to sue as of this weekend. Well, as of this morning, the administration is filing suit. We'll see where that goes. But why would Nevada Democrats push the bill through on a Sunday night? In their argument, Senate Democrats claimed the measure, this Assembly Bill 4, was needed due to concerns over the coronavirus. Yeah, we've heard that about everything. You can't go to the bathroom out of concern of coronavirus. And then we find out that it's okay to go to the bathroom or whatever. The Senator Dallas Harris, he's from the Las Vegas district there in Nevada, he said the truth is this bill only allows more Nevadans to participate safely in our general election in Nevada. Well, they said the same thing in New York. As I said, President Trump tweeted yesterday, he said in an illegal late-night coup, Nevada's clubhouse governor made it impossible for Republicans to win the state. Post office can never handle the traffic of mail-in votes without preparation. Using COVID to steal the state. See you in court. As I said, he's following up on that today, his administration. Catherine Engelbrett, she's the founder of True the Vote. That's an organization that puts its efforts and its resources into just checking the um, the validity of the votes and, and to see what kind of corruption creeps into our voting every on primaries and, of course, the national federal election every four years for the president. She said yesterday, she said, I am deeply concerned by the precedent the Nevada Assembly has set for permanent universal vote by mail with the passage of AB4. When the issue first arose at the very outset of the uncertainty surrounding the global pandemic, Politicos assured those concerned with election integrity that expanded vote by mail would only impact the primary. Fast forward a few months, she says, and our worst fears have become confirmed. They are seeking to implement universal vote by mail for the general election as well. Those who think this is only a temporary change to address the, ri- to address the risks surrounding COVID are sorely mistaken. This is a step that the extreme left has fought to enact for years and most assuredly will try to expand it to future elections, making it a permanent fixture of Nevada election. That would be, this is me, not her talking, that would be like Washington State, Oregon does that, it's same thing. She says um, they would make it a permanent fixture of Nevada election uh, law in the long term, the same thing they are fighting for in states all over the country. Then she added this. She said, while advocates of universal vote by mail claim it will bring an end to voter disenfranchisement, nothing could be further from the truth. Vote by mail beyond limited absentee voting, and she she acknowledges there is a need for that, and I think most conservatives do, but she's talking about having it be systemic. I mean, that is the way you vote. She says, vote by mail beyond limited absentee voting, in fact, further disenfranchises minorities who tend to move much more other than uh, often than the general population and whose addresses are rarely kept up to date on the voter rolls. Well, was New York an absolute catastrophe? In a word, yeah, it was. Here's what happened. The New York primary was held in June. This is August 4. So back in June, I forget which date, but it was in June, And they still don't know the count. They won't say who won what. They've been promising to finish counting by early August. 
since June, they've been saying, we'll have the numbers by early August. These are just the results of the primary election. Well, it's in early August now. We're four days into August. They haven't reported, unless they're doing it as I speak right now. They haven't reported yet because they don't have them. This has led to concerns over the possibility that some votes were tossed out and whether or not there will even be a bigger mess in the presidential election in November. Well, I think us ordinary folks out here across the country can see in our limited abilities, we can see there probably will be because a lot more people will vote in the presidential election than in this one, and they couldn't even handle this one. The state's struggling because more than 10 times the usual number of mail-in ballots were used. It'll be much exponentially more than that in the fall. Officials are now saying that some ballots were rejected because voters forgot to sign and date and all of that, and they're, they're coming up with all of these excuses, which some are legitimate. I mean, I mean that's part of the, ma- the voting process. you got to identify yourself. You've got to know who these people are that are voting. Are they qualified to vote or are they not? And that's been in place since our founders threw the switch on this nation. Some voters who applied for absentee ballots say they received them so close to the June 20, it was June 23rd, cutoff date, that they worried if the ballot would be postmarked in time. I was, I mean, I got to be honest with you, I was talking to some of our relatives this past weekend, and they had not received, in Washington State, they had not received their ballots yet, last week. So, I mean, all of these wonderful, airtight, we can never have a mistake, don't worry about anything, just give us your ballot programs are sometimes not what they're cracked up to be. Well, Gary, maybe we shouldn't, just shouldn't vote. (laughs) Oh, no. Now, we're talking about being informed so we can make some changes as we go along, hopefully. Even Democrats are concerned. Democrat, There's a Democrat candidate. Her name is Sergey Patel. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Filed a lawsuit back in June when she learned that 30% of the mail-in ballots received in the Brooklyn Congressional District were discarded. They just threw them away. This is what's going on. And mail-in voting isn't working well in most states. I know the message here in the Northwest. We hear it again and again and again, but the Heritage Foundation has looked into it. And they have found, they have found, based on the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, EAC, in the last four federal elections, more than 2 million absentee ballots were misdelivered, 1.3 million were rejected, and 28.3 million mail-in ballots are marked unknown or accounted for. That means they don't know what happened to those ballots after they handed them over to the U.S. Postal Service to deliver. They don't know what happened to them. That is 28 million opportunities for someone to cheat. And that's what Trump is talking about because he knows those numbers. He gets that. 28 million opportunities for somebody to cheat on an election. Absentee ballot fraud is most common. It's the most expensive to investigate, and it can never be reversed after an election. So be informed. There's growing uncertainty about the integrity of the November election. That's why George Soros and his comrades are putting millions of dollars into vote-by-mail programs. Well, thank you for being with me today. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to talk about these things. 
We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. We'll continue our conversation. We'll talk about what's happening as we speak. That's what we do. We try to put the light in the darkness. I'll see you right here tomorrow.